0: Florida Medical Association, helping physicians practice medicine. Welcome to the Medicine Curated Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Stapleton. Our special guest today is Dr. Kelly Tice Wells, Senior Medical Director at Florida Blue. Dr. Wells is the clinical lead for Florida Blue's medical operations work in the areas of virtual health, social determinants of health, opioid overuse response, and corporate social responsibility. Dr. Wells is a member of the American Academy of Family Physicians, the Florida Academy of Family Physicians, and currently serves as chair of the Dean's Council at the Brooks College of Health at the University of North Florida. She received her bachelor's degree from Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, her medical degree from the University of Florida's College of Medicine, and she completed her residency training at St. Vincent's Family Practice Residency Program. Dr. Wells, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, glad to be here.
0: Great, well, before we jump into a discussion about you know, the topic of the day, which is the COVID vaccine, um, please tell us about your journey in medicine. You know, what made you decide to become a physician and who inspired you along the way?
1: Well, thanks. I love to have the opportunity to to tell my story, so to speak, as I I love the the variations in all of our journeys. And for me, um, my my mother was a nurse, uh, is a nurse, and my father was enlisted Navy. So my early childhood was really a a number of different duty stations. And my mom worked at whatever the hospital was where my dad was stationed. And, um, you know, I remember the seeing her come and go from work, um, and really being enamored with what she did. Um, and she did everything from, you know, working in the OR to the newborn nursery. Uh, and and I, I think at one point said to my mom, you know, I wanna be a nurse just like you, mom. And she said, she said, no, I really want you to, to go a little further than I did. And that was the first seed that was planted. And I tell you this, the second, um, memory that I have that really shaped my career dis- decision was an article that I read about uh, Dr. Alexa Kennedy, who was the birth- first black female neurosurgeon in the world. And, um, you know, I was sitting cross-legged on the floor in the living room and was just thrilled to see what she was doing in her field and, and with her craft. And eventually, I think, you know, the, the, the career sort of you know, becomes clear, and the specifics of that path have really to do with what you want to do. You know, what sort of lifestyle you want to have. And um, primary care was the thing that that began to appeal to me as I began to to study medicine, and I very quickly became um, very focused on the relationship between the information we impart as clinicians and how it's applied once the the patient leaves our office. And so that really led me to look into uh, work related to culturally competent care, health disparities, um, health literacy, and health education. And so I really found a way to incorporate that in all of my clinical work, um, really, since the time I got out of residency.
0: Well, that's that's a wonderful story. And thank you for sharing that. Um, Tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now um, at Florida Blue, kind of what you're what your day to day is like, and sort of your your job description, uh, so to speak, at at Florida Blue.
1: Sure. So it, I actually have a, a public health background. My first job out of residency was was with a um, local department of health. I was a National Health Service Corps scholar and and was uh, paying uh, completing my service obligation um, in the public health field. And I actually stayed in in those jobs for a period of time and had the opportunity to learn a lot about how uh, local public health systems work. And when I came to Florida Blue to really to work in the medical affairs area there, we, we initially were very focused on um, areas we knew there were disparate impacts. So, you know, hence we, we began really leaning into the opioid response work, for instance, um, uh, wanting to be sure that while we had managed it from the prescription prescribing perspective, you know, the pharmacy perspective, that we also had a good understanding of what was happening on the, the prescriber side of that. Um, that organically, I think, began to involve other areas where disparate impacts, you know, were of concern. And certainly public health surveillance is a, is a big part of that. And as I was you know, orienting my new team members to, you know, what public health response is and, you know, what, what we should expect out of our local health departments, in response to the hepatitis A outbreak, remember that, you know, a couple of years ago, Um, then we had our first case of, uh, of COVID-19 diagnosed in the United States. And um, immediately I was able to leverage that public health expertise and apply it to, um, to our membership, which, you know, spans the state, which uh, really involves a, a, a large, um, a breadth of work as well as significant depth of work, you know, what is happening on the ground with our members, how are they gaining access to the things that they need, what things do we need to change as a payer to ensure they've got appropriate access to testing and treatment for COVID, where are the disparate impacts and what do we do about those, um, and so my day-to-day now has shifted to really be consumed with um, Having a maintaining a broad understanding of what's happening with the pandemic response, serving as a connection point between my company and uh, public health and, um, and other entities, um, I, identifying where there might be gaps, and then working to, to problem solve. Um, if that, you know, that looks like a, a benefit solution, or is that a communication effort that we need to partner with? or is it you know analytics work we need to lean into you know we're consuming a lot of external data now to really be sure that we can we have a good picture so it's it's been quite interesting and uh, I'm I'm excited that we'll have the opportunity on the other side of the pandemic to leverage a lot of the learnings that we've gained um, through all of this work.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think the lessons learned is going to be key and you know Florida Blues you know very lucky to have someone with your public health background, sort of leading the efforts there, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more now about the the pandemic and specifically the latest developments with regard to getting as many Floridians as possible vaccinated as quickly as possible. And I realize one of the problems right now is is the supply issue, but we also know that there are uh, folks that that might um, Uh, be a little concerned about the vaccine and and they need education. So, um, uh, you know, what's the most common fear or misconception that you believe patients have about the COVID-19 vaccine? And tell us about your work um, with regard to reassuring uh, your members and and patients in general um, that the vaccine is indeed safe.
1: Well, the thing we hear more often than anything else is how in the world can this vaccine be safe? Because it was developed in such a short period of time, they can't possibly have done all of the testing that was necessary in order to ensure that, that there's not a risk. Um, you know, you, you have to lay that on top of some of the other concerns I think folks generally have about vaccines and, you know, things that we deal with. You know, on an annual basis, you know, as we're talking to folks about flu, for instance, um, you know, there are folks who have certain misconceptions, you know, you can get the illness from the vaccine. Um, but, but this one in particular, the short runway, I think was a great concern. Um, the other thing I think that it was rather surprising to me, but we, we've, I've heard it more than once, um, is that there is uh, some interaction between components of the vaccine and your DNA, and I, I can only say that that likely results from the, the media really advancing the, the technology of the, uh, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, the mRNA, uh, and lay folks are trying to sort of sort that out. And, and so you know, they come away with a misconception that it, that it can influence your DNA. There are many others. And, and you know speaking about what we're doing about that, I think the the most important thing for us to recognize, and you know, as clinicians, is folks don't want to get this wrong. Like people are really interested in making the the best choice for themselves and their family members, as is the case with any other vaccine. And so our jobs are to one be learned learned enough about it that we can share good information, but also to um, to be transparent about how we've learned what sources of information we've used to, you know, to get to a, a comfort level. And that's what we've, we are sharing. You know, I think that that if we know nothing else, we know that that folks trust their docs mm-hmm. and often no matter, you know, what anyone says, they are going to go to a, a physician with whom they have a relationship to, in order to try to get comfortable with, with a new piece of information or to get guidance on whether or not they should accept something for themselves or their loved ones. So it is important that we be in position to answer those questions for them. When we have the opportunity, though, however, I think one of the things that I, I share is that the, for instance, the FDA review process was transparent. I have colleagues who watched the entire session as the, the data was reviewed before the committee. You know, I think that's a critical piece. For the minority communities, um, I think it's important to advance the idea that the National Medical Association, um, which is a a group of minority physicians, they commissioned an independent, multidisciplinary task force to look at these vaccines in the early fall of last year. And that independent Board actually came away feeling like these vaccines were safe and effective, and that there was adequate representation of minorities in the trials. So those, so it doesn't have to be. Dr. Kelly said it right. I can in fact point folks to resources and tell them, I as your doc, trust these sources, and here's why. Um, So you know that's. I think that's a a major component of the, the strategy is really under meeting people where they are, and then letting them see you know, that, yeah, I was, I was concerned about it too, but let me, let me tell you what I found
0: out. Well, you know, that's a good segue. You know, you mentioned that physicians are a trusted source um, of information uh, uh, for, for the public. Um, So what are, in your experience, what are some of the practical, practical approaches that physicians can take um, that are more likely to reassure patients? In other words, You know, what's the best way for physicians to speak with their patients about their concerns?
1: Sure. I I think the the framework or the groundwork that you've got to lay for your patients is that um, a decision not to vaccinate, right? So to leave yourself unvaccinated is, in fact, a choice not just to avoid any perception of risk, that you might get if you're vaccinated, but it also is a choice to remain vulnerable to this disease. And given what we've seen with the impact of this disease on our, our community, that can often be the motivating factor, right? We don't want you to, to, to remain vulnerable to this. We know what COVID is doing. You know, we have the data that shows the, the vulnerability of, of um, certain members of our population and the loss that has occurred um, related to that. I think the other thing that that I think is a, is a key area of focus for, for physicians is when you choose to engage in those conversations, your job is to raise vaccine confidence, not necessarily to remove vaccine hesitancy. So, you know, really check your target. And so that we are not speaking to, you know, years of myths and, you know, you know, Um, misinformation that's circulated about vaccines, but in fact, talking about these two options we currently have and the data we currently have related to those two options and what may come down the pipeline down the road and really limit it to that. Um, Otherwise, I think you you can find yourself into more, I don't know, um, emotional, theoretical type discussions that provide no value and often won't allow uh, patients to, to gather what they need to consider shifting. And then the other thing I, I tend to say, you know, which really has more impact on people than anything else is, you know, I have shared more than once the two people that mean more to me in the world, my parents who are 81 have both re- now received both doses of the Moderna vaccine. I can't say anything, you know, higher than that, you know, um, in terms of my comfort level with these vaccine offerings
0: we currently have. Yeah, you wouldn't have your mom and dad getting the vaccine if you didn't trust it and think it was beneficial to them. And um, so, you know, we know that, that you and your colleagues at Florida Blue are uniquely aware that there are access and information deficits uh, for mo- minority and underserved populations. Um, what are some of the strategies that you're employing right now to address those concerns?
1: Well, you know, one of the, the great learnings about COVID, uh, it's unfortunate, but it is also valuable, is the, uh, the, the disparity that exists with um, minority populations to start with, right? The reason we were seeing such significant impacts in the, in the community related to COVID was because uh, communities of color tended to have higher incidence of um, some of the chronic diseases that put them at risk. They were not able to work remotely. Right. They tended to be more essential and frontline type staff, you know, just you know, risk upon risk upon risk. Um, I also know from early conversations with our Department of Health uh, partners around the state that many of uh, many people of color who were diagnosed early did not have the means to access, you know, appropriate personal protective equipment to you know, keep their family safe. And we saw spread you know, through the data that we were watching in our own members. We saw spread through households as a result of that. So, you know, I think we have to think about what has perpetuated some of those divides long-term. And often when we try to to craft messaging, you know, we sort of shoot to the middle. And because we're thinking about volume of, of impact versus most at risk. And it is true that messaging to minority communities um, really has to be crafted in a more intentional way. So we've done you know, some surveys of our members to try to you know, ascertain from them, how, how do you wanna be communicated about this? Who would be your trust, trusted source? Um, and then we act on that information. And as we're hearing that folks, you know, they wanna hear from their doctor, maybe their local community leader, um, often a faith leader. Um, mm-hmm. In some minority communities, there's a mistrust of, of media and what's what they're seeing on the news and so where we might think you know a public service announcement or some sort of ad might might do the trick that might not necessarily move the, the needle and so in fact we are strategically um, moving to use our leverage our partners around the state that have local influence to carry some of this messaging you know and so that, that messaging will look and feel very t- uh, tailored and familiar to the, the local audiences in order for them to feel connected to the information that's being shared. Um, and, and I think you have to have a willingness to, to change, right? You have to be will, willing to, to shift your your process because you recognize that, you know, everybody doesn't sort of gather the same. And at the end of the day, as I said at the outset, no one wants to get this wrong. And so it's our job as those that have the information to be sure that we we hand it to our members and our community at large in a way that's actionable and useful for them.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, there's uh, probably there's never been a time in history where there's so many ways that people get their information. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, I mean, it, it, it's so diverse and there's so much information available to people. I know one of the things that you're working on is a toolkit, talking points. You're giving presentations on vaccine safety um, can you talk about that that information and um, how you're making that uh, information um, accessible to whether it's physicians or people in the community
1: sure one of the wonderful things about Florida blue is the um, we, we have uh, the ability to see things from multiple levels right so you know certainly we we have connections in our local communities and relationships with, you know, partners in the local community, and we've been able to say to those partners, you know, if you have need of something, you know, materials, information, uh, you know, a trusted expert to, you know, give a talk or participate in an event, you know, certainly we can partner to, to support you. But the other view that we have that I, that has been really valuable to me is, you know, with some of our groups. Right. We have some employer groups. We've got, um, you know, we've got individual uh, insured and those groups move and behave a bit differently. Mm-hmm. And so we can actually you know, work some specific partnerships that actually support uh, some parts of the industry, for instance. You know, if we have um, groups, for instance, that are retail or that are you know, externally facing healthcare care um, uh, providing organizations. We can really leverage those relationships and 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 work to support their internal employee needs um, in a way that I think has been critical. You know, we've seen a number of our employee groups, for instance, adopt uh, some of our webinar uh, content, put it on their intranet sites and make it available to their employees. And so that's a really interesting, I think, a strategic way to impact the community without um, you know having to sort of Cast a wide a net. Mm-hmm. And, and as we begin to support vaccine efforts, one of the things I think we're going to, to do is, is reach out to those partners specifically and ask, you know, how else may we help, especially if we begin to see a lag in uptake of vaccine in one of those particular areas. You know, the, the highest risk groups, the, the folks that are still you know, working in our grocery stores and, and those kinds of things. If, if we've got folks like that who are Florida Blue members, we certainly wanna be, be tracking the distribution of vaccine in those areas. The other thing that, that I think is, is um, gonna be an important means of support for us is to leverage our, our clinical assets. You know, it's, it's also a great relationship and, and, and for us to have clinics where we're seeing patients, and be able to leverage them as a resource to contribute to community vaccination numbers. And so, you know, certainly out of all of those centers, these materials will be available as well. Um, and then the final thing I think is that that's coming, and we did this uh early in the pandemic, was to really talk to employers specifically about how to make their work sites safe and now with the vaccine uh, rolling out, we'll be able to take that employer toolkit that we've already created and deployed and amend that to include you know, an approach to um, your, your employees and their acceptance of the vaccine and what that might mean in your workspaces in terms of safety, um, contact tracing, you know, those kinds of things. So we've really been able to be a resource in multiple different lanes, if you will, and that's what's been you know, really amazing about this work. You know, it hasn't been, um, well, none, none of the days have been dull, let me say that. Right. Um, but I think we really have been able to step in and help in some ways that uh, were unique, but actually really critically valuable as well.
0: Well, you know, the work you're doing is so important and the reach that, that your company has, I think um, is probably greater than, you know, most organizations in the state. Um, You are the biggest uh, uh, payer in in the state of Florida and the relationships that that you have across the state are are really um, valuable. So, um, you know, thanks so much, Dr. Wells, for spending some time with us today. Uh, This was a really informative discussion and I appreciate you sharing your your insights and and thoughts and we look forward to uh, to having you back again as as we move forward and hopefully, um, hopefully get past this, uh, uh, hopefully in the not too distant future. So thanks again.
1: Thanks for having me. I I enjoyed my time and I'd love to, to spend some additional time with you. I appreciate what you're doing.
0: Thank you. Florida Medical Association, helping physicians practice medicine.